Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today we're having a look back at our interview from 2020 with Michael Witt. Now, Michael Witt, he was never an absolute superstar in rugby league. He bounced around a few clubs. I mean, Manly, Parramatta, the Warriors. He he bounced around a heap of systems, was playing halfback. So the reality of being a seven in the NRL is that when your team's winning, you get all the pats on the back in the world. When your team's losing, you're normally the one that's shown the door pretty soon. And Michael Witt is a perfect example of this. Now, the best thing about this interview for me was that it taught me that interview all these stars, all these kangaroos, all these New South Wales and Queensland representatives, and the reality is these guys, because they are so good at footy, they tend to have a bit of an easy run through rugby league, whereas a guy like Michael Witt, who he was never a representative footballer, he bounced around from club to club, they have completely different experiences, and it's a real, it it shows you the reality of rugby league, and this interview with Michael Witt and some some other interviews I had with guys during the year that they were never your top shelf first graders. Yeah, they were just getting by as first graders. These are the most interesting interviews because no one tiptoes around them. They that you know they sit through a heap of hard conversations. They have to move clubs. They get to meet new guys. It's fantastic to hear these stories. I mean. Two that really stand out for me this year is this one, and Michael Barney was another guy that he bounced around a few clubs, was never a rep footballer. But these are the stories you don't hear, and it really helped as well. Michael Witt was an absolute champion fellow. I didn't really know too much about him, to be honest with you, but he came on, and he was absolutely brilliant. We got along like a house on fire, and we've stayed in contact since. He's a really champion bloke. I believe he's up there in Burley now, uh, Michael Witt Real Estate. So if you are up there and you need a hand with houses or whatever, jump on Instagram. Find him, send him a message. A champion bloke, and this was a chat that I really enjoyed. A, a couple of just quality yarns that I thought were hilarious. Let's kick it off. Michael, welcome on, mate. How are we? Good, mate. Thanks for having me. What is doing? Mate, uh... Nothing's doing, but nothing's doing at the moment with uh, with this virus getting around. As you'd know, it's pretty quiet. 
since uh, since post footy. What have you been doing with yourself? So I um I sell real estate in the Gold Coast. So we moved back here. Uh, I finished at the Dragons in 2014. We moved back up here to the coast. Um, we bought a place here probably actually when I was in New Zealand playing the Warriors. So it was always our destination um, once we retired. And so I've been here back about five years, mate, and love it. Love it. Would never leave. Are you uh, Queensland born and bred? I am. I am. I'm, I'm originally from Toowoomba, so a couple of hours from, from where I'm living now. So I guess it's one of those ones. I'm close enough to family, yet I'm still far enough away. Toowoomba's a pretty rich um, rugby league town, isn't it? It is. Rugby league is the number one sport there. Always has been. I think it always will be. Um, there's been some... For, for quite a you know a smaller town, uh, in saying that it's a hundred thousand plus now, but um, there's been some amazing footballers come out of there and some really good um, Origin players and plenty of NRL players. That's for sure. Was there any uh, blokes that had come out of there when you were a young bloke that you um, looked up to? Well, uh, Robbie Davis was uh, was my main one. He's uh, his parents are actually my godparents, so they played for Newtown um, his father and my father played together so he was one that I guess I seen him come through and just thought okay so you can you can go and play in the NRL from being here in Toowoomba and, and he was the first one that I sort of went okay well probably naively uh, I thought well he did it so that's what I'm doing and I, I didn't sort of look back um, obviously then on the back of that we had Steve Price which is you know, a couple of years younger and Price he actually coached me in in like under sevens or eights in, in Toowoomba, and we end up playing together. So, mate, they were two guys that I always looked at and um, always strive to follow, that's for sure. Mate, Robbie O was a freak on the field. I've, I've heard he's pretty handy off the field. <laughs> Robbie O is uh, he's a rat bag. He's um, actually at my brother, uh, I've got two brothers. So, at my wedding and both my brothers' two weddings, he, uh, he did some work on the dance where he likes to get out there and yeah, rip it up. That's for sure. He's uh, he's Robbie will admit it. He he loves the limelight and he loves the attention being on him. So once that music starts, he gets to the dance floor and uh, yeah, cuts a rug. I'm sure he can cut a shape up, mate. He can actually move too. That's why he gets out there. His his go-to move is the 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 worm, the old school worm. He's just always flicking along the ground. So mate, he uh, yeah, he does some damage on the D floor. He's always been good at what he does. <laughs> Well, he's, he's a lair. He's a lair by nature. He loves it. He He's dancing on the footy field. Uh, he was one of those first guys that started doing things on the field, like, and people were like, you, you can't do that. And then it became common practice, you know. Played in the league of his own. Mate, tell me about your junior footy. Mate, come through Toowoomba. Uh, old man played footy, and, that, and that's sort of how I got into it. Um, you know, I loved my footy as a kid. Just absolutely loved it. and um, I sort of... Played at the one club in Toowoomba, Newtown Lions, um, and, and I left sort of Toowoomba. I signed at Parramatta when I was about, I think I was 14, and um, ended up moving to Sydney about about 16 after I finished year 11. I hear you were uh, pretty handy at um, throwing your hands around as a young bloke. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I, uh, I used to box in the off-season, so loved, uh, I, I, I love the fight, still love the fights on my... On my um, a boxing tragic, I love watching the fights. Um, it was one of those. Actually, when I retired, I, I decided I was going to have a fight. And I had a pro fight, so it's one of those things that I've, I've always loved. Um, but it got to the stage where I guess, as as most kids do, you play a few sports and you get to the stage. There was an Australian titles, um, or the footy was kicking back off. So Dad sat me down and said, um, "You got to pick which one." And 
well, I didn't really fancy getting punched in the head for, for the rest of my life. So um, footy it was. It's not the worst choice you've made. Um, how, yeah. did, how did Parramatta find you? I think I was pretty lucky there because my brother had, had been signed at Parramatta. Um, so he was down there uh, first, and I think that's what drew their attention to me um, because Steve was doing there and, and, and really doing well in the younger grades. Um, so that's what brought their attention to me. And um, I had a couple of different options, um, but it was one that I, I really wanted to, as a kid, for me, the NRL was Sydney, um, and I wanted to go and play in Sydney. Um, so when uh, when they come knocking, I, I was I was pumped, and, and down to Sydney we went. Tell me about your uh, debut and the week leading up to it. Week leading up to it, I, I got a call maybe a, a Monday or a Tuesday from Brian, Brian Smith, uh, and he just called me and said, mate, I need you in tomorrow, um, you're playing. And I was like, oh. Like I couldn't believe it. It was the, the week before. Um, Green had uh, he was a halfback at the time, and he he broke his broke his eye socket, smashed his face up, and um, so he was out. Mate, I was I was a bit embarrassed because I was I'd only played I'd just gone full time. Um, I'd only played three reserve grade games. Uh, me and my brother were the halves in reserve grade, and I kind of felt bad because my brother had been pretty injury hit. The fact that they called me up instead of him. Um, I don't know. Well, my brother was always my idol. I always looked up to him, and and for the fact that they come to me and and wanted me to play, I was like, oh shit. Um, and I, I didn't tell my brother for for the first day or two because I didn't know how to break it. And he found out from someone else, and he said, "You're an idiot. Why didn't you tell me?" Like he was so proud of me, but it um, I was I was a bit um, as I say, I, I jumped over my brother, and I was he was the one I looked up to, so I was a bit embarrassed. He um he ended up making his debut a few years later, didn't he? He did, yeah. He um he didn't end up playing first grade at Parramatta, uh, so he left. He went down to the Knights, uh, and he played first grade there for two years. Uh, I think actually he might have he might have jumped in when Joey did his ACL, and that's what kicked off Steve's first grade career. And then he yeah he did a couple of years a couple of years there. I hope he had big feet to fill those shoes. Jesus Christ. Oh, well, he didn't even try. I think that was the thing. He just went, well, Fuck no, that. no, no even chance. Um, did his thing and tried his best, but yeah, there was no chance of him uh, him doing anything what, uh, what Joey did. Mate, once you got into first grade, you, you really hit it like a duck to water, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I, um, I sort of played the first year, I think it was 17, 18 games, and I played them straight, so I finished the whole year, and it was great, you know. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had some trust put in me. They gave me the goal kicking role, um, so mate, I, I loved it. I just loved every bit about it. Something that I always wanted to do, and um, to be able to to get there, um, you know, play a full year at nineteen, um, it was yeah, it was a fantastic result. I think we we just missed the semis that year. We had to win our last game to make it, so it didn't make the semis. But nineteen year old to, to get into a team with with some of the names I played with, I was was like a yeah, kid in a candy shop. Mate, 17 games, three tries, 45 goals, two field goals. And I know you're pretty humble, but they were pretty shot before you came into that side. Yeah, it was um, 2001, para with, with the guns. They were 10 lengths above every team in the comp, doing something ridiculous, just, you know, numbers in terms of points scored. And then got rolled on grand final day by the Knights. And, and after that, they had a, I'd say, 2002... And, and early three, it was pretty lean, you know. They were sort of rebuilding again. And um, I guess 
I was one of the guys who was in that that rebuild. So, yeah, you're right. It's um, I've never played in a grand final to be fair, but um, that one really stung the club and hurt a lot of the boys. So there was a bit of a yeah a wall to to get over that. It has to be the best team to never win a premiership, doesn't it? Yes, without a doubt in my mind. Um, they were just I, I was sort of there in the I was playing SG ball or under twenties at that point, and just I used to just watch them and just be amazed at what they could do. And the, the guys that – one of those years where, say, out of the 17 blokes – say 20 blokes have played, but on game day, out of the 17, there'd be seven or eight having nine out of ten games. And just to have so many guys in form at the same time, just, um, yeah, that's what just made them just kill it that year. But uh, in the big show, um, it shows they got rolled. And, and that, that year, sort of their performance through the year gets forgotten. But, um, yeah, they were, they were a hot team that year, that's for sure. Tell me about Brian Smith, mate, because like I think he's one of the unluckiest blokes in the world. It's like he's an allergic to trophies. Tell me about him. <laughs> yeah, Smithy's, Smithy's, he's he's a good guy. He's a very good coach. He's a very good coach, and I'm I feel privileged that I was able to come through Parramatta Juniors in a in a system that he totally built. Um, a very very good coach in terms of skills. Um, and and getting those right foundations in place for all for the whole club. And setting up a club, he was he was fantastic at that, and still I think one of the best. I think where Smithy, um, his coaching was different. And I felt was was his personal skills. He was he his his dealing with players wasn't great. That's just my opinion because he's a fantastic coach. I get on good with Brian, um, but he just he was yeah he did some things that I think at the time he felt was great and kept everybody on their toes. But being a player and dealing with some of the guys there, it, it messed with their heads. We played a lot of mind games, and sometimes that worked for blokes, but for a lot it didn't. Mate, it just seems to be like he seems to get success wherever he goes, and then whenever he leaves, it, it always just seems to be a head fuck, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. He just tell us stories. I mean, he, he used to send text messages out the day of the game, and we get to a point there where we were having 15 blokes, 20 blokes warm up. Guys didn't know whether they were playing or not. Obviously, the starting 13 knew they were playing, but the four guys on the bench, usually the forwards, weren't sure whether they were in or they were out. So warm-ups were bashathons. The, the big guys were whacking each other and tearing in to show Smithy and, and, and the coaching staff that they were on and they wanted to play. Um, and then, you know, you'd see, see someone get a pat on the shoulder and told they're not playing and their heart just break right in front of you. And Smithy, I guess, his idea was these guys don't know whether they're in the team, they're out of the team, so they've got to turn up every day and bust their ass. But yeah, it, it, it messed with guys' heads because they weren't sure whether they were playing, whether they were starting, whether on the bench, what they were doing, and and it um, messed guys up. Messed guys up, my opinion, anyway. I get it, but I also don't get it. Oh, he was, yeah. I, I can understand it, like, same as you. I can understand why he was trying to do those things, but in my opinion, it just did not work. It just did not work. Those those big guys just didn't know. Uh, playing or not, and it, yeah, it didn't make sense to me. It's getting their head around. He'd just say, if you're in that 20, you need to get your head around playing and, and train like you're playing, but it's different. It's different. You need to know whether you're in the team and what's happening, and if you don't, it, it's very hard. How did uh, how did the senior fellas in, um, like, Kalis and Hindmarsh, how, how did they seem to handle him? Well, that, they were sweet. See, they were sweet because they were – they were some of the best players in the game at that point in time, internationals. So they were sweet with Smithy. It was the the next layer down of players that 
were basically intimidated by him, scared of him, which I think as a coach, you need to have some of that sort of intimidation factor and he can give you a kick up the arse. But also you need to have that arm around you, um, you know, and, and want you got to want to play for your coach. And I think a lot of the time he that's one bit he, he missed out on. And, you know, for, you know, game, maybe to the, have dinner and a few boys would be having a beer and Smithy would walk in and they'd hide their beers and shit like that. Like it just, that's, I don't think that's how you create a club culture. And um, as, as for the questions, like Hindy and Vela and Kalis and those guys, they didn't care because they were playing for Australia. Like they didn't really care, but everybody else used to walk around on eggshells. About that first season. So you won the uh, Parramatta um, Rookie of the Year. You are. Yep. You were pipped by a pretty handy footballer that got the uh, NRL Rookie of the Year, though. <laughs> yeah, he goes all right, that bloke. He, he had a good year. I mean, Billy Billy Slater, he he come into, and I think he's had one of the best the best um, rookie years ever. He just come straight in and just hit the ground running. He just sheer pace um, that he brought, um, and uh, you know the way his career turned out. He was he's one of the well, he's the best best fullback I've seen play, um, the best fullback I've played against. Um, so yeah, it's it's not one that I'm. Uh, I certainly can't kick stones for not getting the NRL Rookie of the Year. That's for sure. No, you got to cop that one, that that one on the chin. I think it's it's a privilege for me to say I debuted the same year as him. That's about it. Who else was in the uh, debut class of that year that you remember? I believe Brett Furman was another guy who came in and did pretty well. What of that? I, I, can't, I don't know to be honest with you. Just Furman, Slater, and another goat, huh? <laughs> Yeah, Billy Goat. Yeah, we'll take it. And it is that man, Jamie Lyon, who could end up scoring a try. He's over the line. Has he got it down? I think he has. I think that's a try. Mark Oden doesn't even bother going to the video referee. Gives the try to Jamie Lyon. Mate, tell me about another young bloke that was there. And for for people that, uh, you know, for for younger people listening to this, that, you know, they might not remember this event. It's kind of been buried in rugby league history a little bit. Jamie Lyon, um, absolute superstar of the game at such a young age, could just do things that other blokes couldn't. You kick off the 2004 season. Finish this story for me. We kicked off 2004 season against the Bulldogs. Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. We got beat that day. I didn't play, actually. Got beat that day and um, turned up to training on Monday and no killer. Uh, no Jamie Lyon. He just didn't turn up. And we're like, you know, the, the boys are there and the, start, the chat starts to go around, where's killer? What's what's happening? And and then we got called into a meeting and said, killer's gone. He, he won't be coming back. No one could contact him, couldn't find him. His His car was still at the stadium, just left there. And he'd just gone. He'd vanished. And we heard that he'd gone home to Weewell. And, um, yeah, we didn't see Killer again. That was it. And he was, he, like I say, he, he was he was playing for Australia at the time. He was one of the best players in the comp. Uh, he was my centre. <laughs> so I just used to catch him past him. And he, he did things that were unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he just just um, he just left the game. And, and to be fair, even now to this day, no one really knows why. Um, I know he's he's had a bit of a falling out with people involved, but the actual reason for that falling out, I'm not sure. Um, and he just went back and played bush footy. Yeah, he literally just went back and played for the um, the Weewa uh, uh, Panthers, Panthers, are they? Yeah, yeah and just yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe they um, they won a comp with him too. I think they did. Yeah, he went and played there for the year, and then um, he saw out 
his contract was with the the Eels. I think they give him a release, and then he went over and played St Helens and and killed it over there. Still one of the um, obviously did a bit of a stint in England, and and um, they still talk about Killer as best Australian players ever to go and play in the Super League, and I, I tend to agree with them. Oh, mate, in my opinion, he, he's one of the best players to play in Australia too. When, when he came back, he was just on another level. Whether he was playing centre or five eight, he was just he yep. was just something else, wasn't he? It was and the thing with Killer, I mean, you look when he comes back and he's carving up the comp, and he just went, no, I don't want to play State of Origin. I don't want to play for Australia. Like. Just decided he didn't want to play rep football. Like people, it's a bit of an enigma, you know. He's I only seen him a couple of weeks ago at a game of footy. His his young guy is um, in one of the the Gold Coast Titans um, development squads, and I was having a chat with him. And um, such a lovely guy, just a, a bushy. You know, I, I would seriously, I'd have killed killed anybody to to play State of Origin. And he just went, yeah, I don't feel like doing it anymore. I, I'm not doing it. So just just one of those guys that sort of to his own beat and um, did it the way he wanted. He, he's happy to train and go play golf, and that was about killer. Mate, you could bet your bottom dollar there for about six years. Every every single year when June, when June ro- rolled around, New South Wales would put the question out to him and just <laughs> yeah. fucking donuts back. Not a chance. And they'd always try to get him back. And um, obviously, that was this period when uh, Queensland were quite dominant. And, and to have a player of that calibre want to turn up and play. He was just, um, yeah, kicking the teeth for everyone in New South Wales, I could imagine. Mate, and how much did Queensland love a bloke not wanting to play for New South Wales? <laughs> it always the way was, ah, if he was Queensland, he was, no one would ever not play for Queensland if asked. And, uh, yeah, so they, they milked on that for a while. But, um, yeah, just as I say, he, he didn't want to play, didn't want to do it. He'd rather have his um, his weekends off and stuff when he could. So, wasn't for him, but but in terms of what he did in the game, second to none, he he was he was unbelievable. Yeah, good on you, Jamie. You fisted a whole state there. Well done. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a Queensland man, so I was like, yeah, killer. I wouldn't play Origin. <laughs> <laughs> Smart footy, mate. Tell yeah. me about your move to Manly. Like, um, how did you leave Parramatta? How did it come about? I just signed a four year deal at Para. Um, I think I did I did one year of that four year deal, and I was driving in my car one day, and I got a phone call from. Crusher Cleal, who was who was the man who signed me at Parramatta, and he was now working at Manly. He just called me and said, "Woody, you know why I'm calling?" And I went, "No, I don't. What, what's wrong?" He said, "You know I'm calling." I said, "No, I don't, Crusher. I don't know what's going on." And it had just been um, Andrew, Andrew, what's his bloody name? Andrew Walker. Andrew Walker had been caught for um, drugs, I think, or, or cocaine or something. Uh, and got the sack. And so he said, we, we want you here to come and play six. At that point in time, um, Smithy was, was um, not talking to me much. And I think they were they wanted to go with, with Timmy Smith as their starting half for the year. So it sort of timing was great for me. And I sort of, I jumped the chance and, and moved to the beaches. It was lucky you didn't go head to head with um, Tim Smith. What about that season? Mate, his, his rookie year was unbelievable. What he did that first year was just, I think he set up a shitload of tries from kicks. 40 try assists he had, fucking 40. Couldn't do it on a PlayStation. I'd say 30 of them would come off his boot. He just had a knack of um, that short kicking game was fantastic. But he, um, he, he, was, he had a fantastic kick and a fantastic pass, Timmy, and, and a good kid to boot. Um, didn't have much of a running game, but his, his skill set was, was up there. And that first year, he was... He was he was braining them.
that right to left cutout pass he had. Jesus yeah, Christ, yeah. Mate, like on a, bullet, a string, like a bullet. Yeah. yeah, insane. Yeah, so tell me about the move to Manly. Crusher calls you. Crusher calls me, and I was like, "Yep, sweet, let's get it done." So my my agent um, sorted that out. My, I said to my my girlfriend, who's my, my wife now, I said, um, "Manly want us to go play there," and she goes, "Oh, no, I like it here at Parramatta." And I was like, "All right, sweetheart, jump in the car." I'm going to take you for a drive because she's a Queensland girl. She had no idea. So we drove out to Manly for the day and I, you know, drove along the beach and she's like, let's do it. Uh, Whatever they pay, we're coming here. And that like, must have been the easiest sell of your life just quietly. Exactly. Exactly. Just put her in the car and took her for a drive and she, yeah, she was, she was like, couldn't, couldn't, um, couldn't get us out of power quick enough. Tell me, once you arrive at Manly, tell me about the coach, Desi Hasler. <laughs> Desi's, Desi's, he's a lovely guy. He's just a strange critter. He's uh, he's just he's so tightly wound, so tightly wound. He's hard to sit down and have a conversation with. The guy you see on interviews, <laughs> that's kind of what he's like. He likes to really think about every answer, every question. The amount of times you pull me and say, "Woody, I just want to have a chat with you." I was uh, I was out running. I was running this morning about three o'clock, and I I was thinking, "Oh no, we're going, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute, you're running the streets at three o'clock." Yeah, 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 yeah. Like he was just, just always training. He's he's a he's a good dude. I think he was still he was still kind of early in his coaching. Well, you know where he went in those next few years. He got a lot more technical, um, and done some amazing things. But as a as a bloke, he was the boys used to take the piss out of him all the time. Anthony Watmo was the king of just he'd just come up behind him and just touch him on the back and. <laughs> Desi would shit himself because he's always so tightly strung. He'd jump and he'd be like, ah, what are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? And the boys would piss themselves laughing all the time. But he uh, he was one man, and I think still that way now, and that's why they're going so good that he's gone back there. Manly is – Manly, it's kind of in its own bubble. It's like coaches go there and it doesn't work for them. They, they really like Manly. As everybody says, everyone hates Manly, and Manly loves that. Manly loves that, and that's why – the, the players that have come through in terms of Desi and Tubes and those guys that have gone into coaching, they've gone fantastic. And then, you know, like Baz is a fantastic coach, but it didn't work for him when he went there because I think he wasn't a manly guy. Whenever I see Des Hasler, it just looks like he's paying rent in his own head. He's tight as a fish's ass, I know that. He's, he's, he's always got some conversations going on in his head and uh, we're not privy to, but um, sometimes he even answers, his, he's, he answers himself. And he'll be nodding his head, walking along the field, and yeah, that's a good idea. Like he's talking to himself, but uh, mate, it works for him. So good luck to him. Yeah, can't fix what's not broken. Five meters out now, Kennedy. Kennedy's over. Kennedy's out. Well, this is unbelievable. Here you arrived at Manly. Uh, there's another yeah. handy footballer that joined you, uh, Ben Kennedy, and I sort of. I look at Manly's um, success to come in the next few years, and I, and I think Ben Kennedy, as much as he wasn't there for that success, he he looks to me to be the sort of guy that changed the culture there. Tell me about BK. You, what you said there is one hundred percent correct. He changed. He changed the culture. He turned up um, that same year. It was myself, um, Brent Kite, and um, BK, and he just turned up and he he changed it. He just changed the place. It was always a you know fun-loving group, uh, but he turned up as a winner, and take no prisoners. We do whatever it takes to win, and he just really drove that culture. Lovely bloke, fantastic guy, but 
he he turned up and just changed where how hard he trained. Um, and he took blokes under his wing. He he grabbed Anthony Watmo when he turned up, and just took him with him. And and that's where where um, Chock turned into an amazing player, just following what BK did. Thing with BK, he trained his ring out and he parted his ring out away from the footy. But he showed blokes at good time. As soon as we turned up to train, he, he just he had a switch, switch. And um, mate, he was he was he'd have to be one of the best players I ever played with. I remember a, he played a test match. One, one um, might have been a Friday, and we had a Sunday game. And he turned up limping the day before, and he was never playing. And then he just, he just turned up with his bag and said, no, I'm playing. And he brained him that day. He was just that that kind of bloke where he um, just he could switch. He just had a switch once he stepped over the line, and and um, he was he was next level. Amazing bloke. I look back, and I, I honestly think it's the most underrated signing in rugby league history. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. What what he did at Manly, and you'll see the year that he retired, they went and won the grand final the next year. BK was there. BK was in the sheds. BK was still part of the group because they wanted him around the way that, just what he brought, the aura that he had. And so they kept him around the place, which is which is a smart decision. But um, he just, what he turned up and did there was turn, well, Manly hadn't made the, made the um, finals for X amount of years for a long time. And he just turned up and said, no, this is what's happened. I mean, we, we were top four for a long part of that season um, till the back end. So, mate, he was an um, amazing player and, and it's no surprise that he was um, – he, he, well, he's a, he's a good one for you. He played – what did he play? Two or three years at Manly and got picked in Manly's team of the century. Like, that speaks volumes for some of the players that have gone through that club and they still pick BK in that team. That's That's – I think um, shows you right there the sort of regard he's held in at the club and and what sort of footy he played when he turned up there. Mate, if you're in the top thousand players for Manly, it's a good knock. Yeah, I'm in the bottom. I'm in the bottom thousand, but I one thousand and one, aren't you? Well, how many players have played there? I'd be in the. Uh, <laughs> I'd, probably, I'd be in the bottom bottom fifty. Let's say that. Mate, I think with Ben Kennedy too, like I look back at that 2001 grand final and like Joey absolutely brained it that night, of course. But if Ben Kennedy wasn't there, Newcastle don't win in my opinion. Oh, Ben Kennedy, he he just tortured JT for the whole game. Just picked him out and, and just run at him non-bloody stop. And he just, yeah, I think uh, JT would still have nightmares about that day. Fuck, he's had some tough nights at the office, Jason Taylor. Oh, I think we all have, but he's had a, he's had a couple here. Yeah, that one was one, and he had that illusion about him that he wasn't strong defensively, and people would just just keep going at him and just keep going at him. The one thing JT didn't do, he didn't um, try and hide. Like he didn't try and go, oh no, I don't tackle, I'm hiding out. He'd always get in there and have a dig, but he was just small and um, just not physically physically built to 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 stop some of those those superhuman blokes running at him. Are going to bag someone for not being able to stop Ben Kennedy? <laughs> no, you can't. He, he made some fantastic defenders look like dickheads as well. Mate, tell me about when you're at Manly, like there's one guy that I always look at in that team and I think, fuck, he is so underrated. Michael Monaghan, he was just tough as nails and his skill set was incredible. It was. He was, he was. he was tough as nails. The thing that I liked about him and me and him are still good mates to this day, He's he's. Um, I just turned up, we hit it off. I just loved the way he played. I loved his confidence. He's one guy that he, he messed up a bit, but he, he didn't rattle him. But in terms of defence, he could he'd rip in indeed. Um, just 
he had a great skill set, and he was he was a good. He's got a good football mind, so it's no no surprise to me that he's back in the coaching um, side of things at the moment because he he really um, he really thought about the game, um, and a fantastic bloke. I mean, he's he's another one of those guys that when he was at Manly, they did everything they could to get rid of him. We don't want you. We're not paying you. Trying to get rid of him, and then that was the year he went and played hooker and brained him at hooker as well. The sort of bloke he like if he was put in jersey one to thirteen, I'd go fuck. I know he's going to do a job. He always turned up and did his job. That's one thing about um, uh, Mickey was he'd always you always knew you what you were going to get out of him. Um, he'd always have he'd probably have a couple errors in him, but he'd he'd come up with at some point in the game he'd come up with one piece of brilliance, and um, the rest of the time he was pretty pretty solid. Tell me about your move to the Warriors, mate. Mate, it was um, one where I was like, shit, I, I don't know whether I want to go to the Warriors. Like, I don't. I'd, I'd been to New Zealand, obviously, to play. See, when you when you go over there, is from the hotel to to the ground and back. And um, so I was a bit weary about it. So I rang um, I rang Steve Price, and I had a I obviously knew Pricey from Toowoomba, as we spoke about earlier. And I just I literally just asked him the question. I said. Should I be doing this? Is this a good good move for my career? Uh, he said, "Mate, I love this place. I wish I come here earlier. You'll you'll come here. You'll love it." Because he knew my wife, he knew me. He's like, "Mate, you'll love it. Get in the plane and get over here." Um, he said, "What I can't promise you is you're going to play first grade, um, but I'll promise you that it's the kind of club where if you're if you're ripping in, you'll get a chance. So do it." And I basically got off the phone to him, rang my man, and said, "Let's go." I imagine uh, if it was a tough sell getting your missus to move from Parramatta to Manly, how did it go down moving over to New Zealand? <laughs> well, that was a bit of a tough sell. That was a bit of a tough sell. But it's it's of got to the point where it was um, was one where I had to say, no, no, this is what we're doing, darling. Um, there's no other option. This is what we're doing. We're either doing that or going to England. She went, okay, New Zealand sounds good. Tell me about when you arrived there, uh, you'd obviously uh, known Steve Price as, as a younger fella. I assume yep. that was the first time that you played with him, though? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. I'd played against him, in, uh, you know, in the NRL when he was at the Dogs. But um, another guy that uh, he had a fantastic reputation. I always looked up to him and, and I loved what he did in terms of his humility um, and what he did off the field. He never got a big head. He never come back. Like, he used to come back playing the NRL, come back to our junior awards nights. He never turned up being a dickhead. He was always had time for people, always well-mannered. Um, well-spoken. He remembered everybody that helped him on the way up. And, and he was always a genuine bloke. So that's what I always I always wanted to be like that. If I was ever lucky enough to play first grade and play in the NRL, I wanted to be that guy that cocky, didn't get bigger than the game and didn't didn't forget where I come from. Mate, he knew his way around a uh, bucket hat. I loved a bucket hat. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think there was even bucket hats in New Zealand before he got there. It's probably not and a bad shout. Mate, he'd get straight in and say, we've got to have one of these. And he'd bring his hat in and say, make one of them. And, and he'd always end up with one. No matter what team he played for, he'd have a bucket at and he'd train in it every day. Mate, there was another handy front rower in that side who oh, I think he's one of the greatest Kiwi players we've ever seen, Ruben Wiki. T- tell me about, yeah. like, what, what what does he bring to, to a team? He, he just brings um, he brings a bit of fear factor, I think, when, when you're playing against him, haven't played against him as well. He has a bit of that fear factor. Um, but he just, he's like a dad. He's like a dad. Um, I love him. Absolutely love him. He's just, he's a guy that had, he only had one year and that was fifth. He was at training. 
you, you never wanted to be in the defensive duels against him because he'd just tear you to pieces because he only knew one way. He never did any half-hearted. Um, he just ripped in. So that's the way he trained is the way he played, and um, that's why he played for so long. He's a real genuine bloke, lovely guy, um, and, and I'm, I feel privileged to have played with him. Manu well done. Holy jolly, Ruben Ricky has just hammered, absolutely hammered, poor old Soliola. He is in Disneyland. Mate, I um I had a chat to Clinton Torpy the other day, and he was telling me that um he he was playing for the Warriors in 2002 with Ivan Cleary, and then he got to 2006, yep. and Ivan Cleary arrived at the club as coach, and he sort of thought, oh, how good is this going to be? And Ivan Cleary essentially sat down with him on the first few days and said, I don't want you here, you've got to go. Tell yep. me, like, it sounds like he just, he, he took no prisoners. How'd you find nah. Ivan Cleary? Well, speaking of, speaking about this one and, and just having spoken about um, Ruben Wiki, I'll tell you a story about Rubes. He was, he was leading into, um, it must have been 2000 and, I have to say, eight. And he's leading into playing 300 games. They've said to him, no, nah, you're not playing. And and they tried to get him to retire. And I was in the leadership squad at the time. And um, I remember coming out of a meeting and seeing Rube sitting on his own in the gym crying. And I was like, hey, what's what's going on? And he said to me, they want me to retire. What do you, what do you mean they want you to retire? This is a story I've never told anyone, actually. Um, they want him to retire. And he said, all they keep saying to me is, you're already a legend of the game, whether you've played 200 and... 90 or 300 games, no one cares. It's You're bigger than that. Um, you should retire. And he said to me, what should I do? I said, mate, don't you dare retire. You dare. I said, you mean too much of this club um, and you mean too much to these boys. They'll, they'll fold, they, especially the, the younger Polynesian guys. I said, if you, if you throw in the town now, what sort of um, – what are you going to show them? And he goes, okay, but, but do the boys want me to retire? And I was like, no, there's no way in the world. He said, what about the the, the uh, leadership group? I said, mate, we want you there. Um, we love having you. I love running out beside you. I said, don't you dare retire. He said, okay, I'm not. I'm not retiring. I'm going to get this. So, mate, yeah, he's, um, he decided on the spot that he was he was um, going to push on. And he played reserve grade. I think it was only one week. Uh, I believe someone got injured. I can't remember. Uh, he came straight back into the team and uh, finished off with a powerhouse year. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting when you say that about Ivan. Um, they sat him down. Ivan, um, John Hart, who was a former All Blacks coach, was in there, and the CEO, and they tried to make him – they tried to literally make him retire. So it's it's an interesting little play, that one. I'm not sure whether – not sure everyone did have spoke about that. Ivan Cleary is another one that I look at that, you know, he seems to get some form of success everywhere he goes, but it never seems yep. to end pretty again, does it? Yeah, there's a couple a couple of clubs there that uh, he's probably hasn't gone great with. Obviously, his first stint at Penrith uh, didn't work, and then he, he went to the Tigers. I think he was starting to build something really good there and obviously bailed on them to get back and, and coach Nathan. Um, a very good coach, a very good coach. There's no there's no doubt about that. But, um, yeah, you're right. There's been a few clubs that he's left in, in probably not better than when he turned up. Tell me, mate, let's fast forward. 2008, you're playing the Melbourne Storm down in Melbourne. You guys finish eighth. They won the minor premiership. No no team that's finished eighth had ever won that game before. Tell me yeah. about that game. I remember just uh, 
it was it was a real fight for us to make the finals that year. I think we we won about seven or eight straight, and so we went into the final series full of confidence, um, in really good form on a really good run, and and um, we were confident going there. No, no, everybody had written us off. Um, everybody, there's there's uh, no one outside of that club that thought we were a chance of winning, and for some reason we we really thought we were a chance, and. Um, Went down there with an attitude that we were going down to win and, and get out of there. And, mate, we did it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I remember watching that game, and um, yep. at the end of the game, you, you scored a try yourself, a cracking Warriors try. Tell me, what the fuck were you doing in the in goals? I remember sitting there going, who does this bloke think he is? What was doing there? <laughs> yeah, mate, it's, it's an interesting one. It's it's one that I look back at now and didn't realise I sort of held the ball in the air. But what I, what I wanted to mate, do... Mate, it was like a scene plan. out of Lion King. Yeah, it was. It was. But I, I, um, I knew, I knew Blair was chasing me, and it was only a couple of minutes ago. So my plan was to run and just stand in the corner, and not put the ball down for as long as I could. So that was the plan. So he's chasing me. So he ran through. So I stopped and went to the corner. But I didn't see inside of him was Smithy. I didn't realise he'd chase as well. So I turned round, went to stand in the corner, and not put the ball down. And then as I looked, then Smithy come at me. So I put the ball down and it looks closer than it was because I put the ball down, went to throw the ball in the air and then Smithy's foot hit it. So it looked like it was closer than it was, but mate, never in doubt. You, did, you didn't realise Smithy would chase Mr. 0.1 percenter. Well, it's, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think I was, I was only focused on uh, Big Blairy chasing me. When he's chasing you, you run fast and you get out of the frigging road. So that was, that was what I was worried about, but. Mate, as I say, we went down there. I remember Craig Walker, who was our trainer. He just he just had a a mindset in our team that we were going to win. And he said, what happens is people turn up here and they're beaten before they play. He said they run out. They run out through the big AFL banner. They play this music and the thunderstruck and all that. And you've got to stand there. They always make you stand out there and wait. So he said, fuck that. We're not going to be intimidated by them. We're not going to turn up and let them beat us by intimidation. So we decided a pact within the team that we were going to run on the field. And if I don't know whether you can see this going back through film, but so we run on the film, uh, sorry, on the field, and we lined up and we stood together as a group right on halfway. And he said, we're going to stand there and we're going to stare them down. It's going to stand there like, like we're ready for war. He said, because we're ready for war here today. 
So we all had a pact that we were going to do that. They obviously run out behind the big banner, can't see us. And we're all standing there in like a, almost like a hucker formation set up there like really aggressively. I'll never forget them busting through, busting through that uh, banner. And I remember seeing Ryan Hoffman. And Ryan Hoffman, he just looked up and sort of looked at us like, the fuck's going on here? Like, they just weren't, weren't expecting it. I'm not saying he was scared. He, he's not scared at all. But it certainly caught them off guard. And it, it let them know from that first minute that we weren't here just to, to get our ass kicked and sent home. We were here to win. We weren't just happy to make the finals. We turned up ready to win and made, um, panned out in the end. It took us a while to get there. But uh, it was a close game through the whole match. And obviously, we got away with it in the end. Mate, I always look back at those, you know, like the end of the 2000s and and the start of, of this decade in particular. I just think teams showed them too much respect, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly right. And that was our whole our whole, um, whole argument behind it. And, and that's when wrestling started coming in and everybody used to binge about getting wrestled and getting their heads twisted and getting chicken winged and all that. And we just – we weren't doing that. We weren't going there to give them respect. We sort of went there as a bit of an F you. Here we are. And there's some big, scary hombres in our team. We're like, well, we're going to match fire with fire. And that's what we did. And on, on that day, it worked for us. And, like, I remember watching for years, and I watched them, and, like, they, they are an unbelievable team, no doubt about it. But when you show up and you try and play your block plays against the king of block plays, you're making life easy on them. I used to love it when the Warriors would go down there and say, fuck this, let's play backyard footy and see how they handle it. And if you look, if you look through um, history, the Warriors have always had a good rep- uh, a good record against the Storm, and I think that's part of it. You've got to go there prepared to chant your arm because if you don't chant your arm, you're not going to win. That's just that's a given. Structured football, the Melbourne Storm, there's no one better. So you've got to go there and play a bit of that that Warriors footy, where hitting it up and and, and offloads and those sorts of things, and plenty of push. And we we certainly had the the, the guys in our team to be able to do stuff like that. And, um, so that's the way we turned up, just run hard, tackle hard, and play a bit of footy on the back of that, and let's um, let's see what happens. When you've watched the Warriors over the last 10 years or so, like, do you look at them and think they're trying to be someone else? Like, I always look at them and I watch the way they play, and I'm like, fuck, you, you are producing these incredibly naturally gifted footballers that yep. they shouldn't be playing structured footy. You should be allowing them to throw the ball around. When I spoke to Clinton Torpy the other day, he, he sort of said the same thing. He sort of said, fuck yep. Why? Why are we trying to be Melbourne? We're the Warriors, and we need to own that. How do you How do yeah. you feel about that? Well, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. The thing toward the back end of my time, or actually, my time at the Warriors was a time where we had a fair bit of success. Um, we, you know, in the semis, game from the grand final, uh, both years or one year rather. And what we had there was a real good blend of a team. We had we had Aussies and Kiwis. We had young and old Polynesians. Um, white boys, whatever. You know, we had a real good mix. Towards the back end of my time at the Warriors, they decided, the owner of the Warriors then, decided that he wanted it to be a Kiwi team. He wanted all Kiwis, so they started getting rid of all the Aussies. And it just doesn't work. You, you can't run an NRL team as the Kiwis. You've got to have a good blend of Aussies, um, old and young, so you've got that that mix, um, and I think the way they've tried to do it for an extended period is try to have all Kiwis there and try to bring all the Kiwis back from Australia to play play for their um, play for the Warriors. And I don't think that's how it works. I think you've got to have a good mix of of everything. I think when you look at like like World Cups and any sort of competition that's a short frame of time, you can play yep. Kiwi footy, but over twenty six weeks, 
it, it just doesn't yeah. seem to work, does it? No, you've got, you've got to have a good blend, mate. You've got to have a good blend of of experience. You've got to have a good blend of Aussies and Kiwis. And the thing is, you, you can't run it as a Kiwi team because some of the best Kiwi players in Australia, and you're never going to get them back. So if you try and work around only having the Kiwi boys come home, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You need to have a, a good blend of of players. And I think the year they made the grand final, again, still had a really good blend of young and old. They had Michael Luck still there. Um, Maloney went there and played in the halves and, and uh, you know, another Aussie. So there was a good, good mix. That's, that's the way, in my opinion, not saying that I know, um, but that's the way that team's got to be. Um, and I don't think it's been that way for, for a while now. Mate, we spoke earlier about that try you scored and um, holding the ball up in the in goals. Did um, Ivan Cleary have anything to say to you after that? Did, did he get in your ear no. or was he just happy no, you guys he, won? He just um, – what he said to me was like, – I said because I said, sorry, what I was trying to do. And I told him, he goes, yeah, that's sweet. He said, I just – when I seen you pull up, I thought they'd called it back and I shit myself. I didn't know what was going on. So, yeah, that's all right. He, he didn't bluff at me. Guaranteed, if, if I'd have did it, then I would have dropped it. <laughs> I would have been resold. Although, and to say that at the end of that, at the end of that season, he got rid of me anyway. So, who knows, mate? I'm just having a look at some of your stats from when you're at the Warriors. You were goal kicking at about ninety percent. You were striking them. Yeah, striking them all right. I think I just found a real groove of my um, training, my kicking training, and and I had everything going right. Um, I had the confidence in my kicking, and I felt like every no matter where I put the ball down, I felt like I was going to get it, and and um, yeah, I just. Yeah, I think it was one of those ones where I just found a good knack of what I was doing uh, training-wise, and it just started to – I always turned up in a game knowing I'll put the work in. I always train really hard on my kicking, um, and I turned up knowing that I'll put the work in, so there's no reason why I should miss. Tell me about how you left the Warriors. How did uh, how did Ivan break it to you? Mate, it was a weird one. When I, I had um, the week – I remember the week we went to Melbourne to play that semi-final game. I um, – I had an offer to go to England for three years to go and play at Hull FC. My manager rang me and said, you've got this amazing offer to go overseas. Would you, would you look at it? And he told me the money and I said, oh, shit, yeah. Like I had one year to go at the Warriors. Um, so he contacted the Warriors and said, um, consider letting Michael go. Uh, he's got a good offer, obviously, to go to England. And they said to me, no, no way. We, we, we got you in our plans here. I still remember John Hart pulling me aside and saying, um, Michael, we got long-term plans for you here at the club and we don't want to let you go. So straight away I said, fantastic, great. I, I don't want to go up on wanted here. No problem at all. So that was – I remember having the phone call with my agent when I was in the hotel down in Melbourne. So then obviously – that game in Melbourne, I ended up getting man of the match in that game. I, uh, I played okay through the final series. We got beat by we got beat by Manly, who I think would have beat bloody Australian side that year. They were just on. What a side. Um, and, I mean, they went and schooled Melbourne by 40 in the grand final. So I don't think – I probably I obviously didn't play that good that day, but I don't think anyone did, and I don't think anyone was going to beat Manly. So it was obviously out – what I found out was we, we had our um, end-of-year reviews, um, and so we just went into everybody has their meeting, as every club does every year, and they basically just called me in and said, uh, Michael, blah, blah, blah. I said, I reckon you should look for another club. You're not in my plans moving forward. I think you should try find another club. I said, well, I just had an offer three weeks ago, um, and you said no. Well, I can tell you now, 
you're not my plan. So if I was you, I'd be calling my agent straight away. All right, well, I'm just going to knuckle down and I'll train my, train my ass off and show you that I'm worthwhile here. And he said to me, exact words were, Michael, it doesn't matter how hard you train, how good you're playing, you'll never play first grade at this club again. And I was like, well, took that one straight between the eyes. Like I just, I wasn't ready for that. I literally walked out of the meeting, called my agent straight away and said, get that deal sorted at Hull. And he goes, no, no, they've, they've pulled the deal now, they've signed someone else. I was just like, Jesus Christ. Well, like I was not expecting that. And the fact that he said, no matter what you do, I don't care. You're never going to play first grade again. We've bought Joel Moon to come and play 5'8". Fuck, he'll that be hurts. Out five, <laughs> he'll be out 5'8 next year no matter what. Like, oh, wow, okay. So I thought, I thought I'd finish the year pretty good um, and done okay. But, yeah, and it wasn't as though they were signing um, Johns to come and play in my position. They, signed they a winger, Moon, didn't they? Yeah, well, he'd never played 5'8 before. Um, good, great guy. I, I know Mooney well. Um, great guy. But he'd, um, yeah, they'd, they'd decided that he was coming to play six, and that was that was the end of it. So um, that's that's what happened. And um, then I got a couple of offers from other clubs to go, and I said, no, well, I'm, I'm going to stay for a little bit till I can get myself sorted. So I did the preseason at the Warriors, and then um, – during the preseason, I, I end up signing as New Zealand rugby. Mate, just just going back quickly, you say that uh, the Warriors were knocked out in two thousand and eight by Manly. Was it a bit of yep. a strange feeling watching that Manly side? Like, did you when when you left Manly and your Watmos and your Stewart brothers and your Matties were, were young blokes coming through? Could you tell something special was was on its way? Uh, yes and no. Um, there was some fantastic younger blokes there. Um, you still had Beaver, who was was carving up. Um, they brought in Matty Orford the year that I left, I think, and he sort of did some did some good things. I oh, know I, I played there a year with Matty, um, but things started to go okay. But no, I wouldn't say that I was like these guys are going to win a grand final soon. But it all sort of fell into place. And Glenn Stewart wasn't really playing first grade at that time; he was playing reserve grade. They were they were good young players, and um, they all sort of again. Those couple of years there, they it all fell into place. I think Cherry Evans come in. He won a grand final on debut, uh, his debut year. Kieran Foran was was next level. Uh, he's still such unlucky with with injuries, Kieran. But buddy, he's a good footballer. I think he's one bloke that you know. I remember when, when you used to watch him, and he was the first real half to straighten up the line and really put yep. his nose through the line. And now it's sort of. You know, it's sort of like every half, if you don't do that, you're not playing first grade. It's part of your basic yeah. kit now. And I think he really revolutionized. Like, we talk about Slater changing the fullback game. I think yeah. Foran changed the game for halves more than, like, anyone's ever spoken about. Yeah, well, he, he he's a guy that he was prepared to run like a front rower. You know, he'd, he'd take the line on. He was prepared to take a hit to put someone through a hole. Brave, tough. And he always could always, well, I'd say cool, he still does it now, but he catches the ball on the advantage lines playing right into the teeth of uh, any defence. And he always makes makes you tackle him. Like, he, he make, you can't go half-hearted, defend him half-hearted. He always plays hard. And he was he was what he did that year. Um, he was fantastic. The way he paired up with uh, um, Cherry Evans and allowed Killer to go and play in the centres, yeah, it was, a, it was a good mix, really good mix. So you leave the Warriors at the end or at the start of 2009. Tell me what happens next. So I, I, I met with um, the All Blacks assistant coach 
and I met with him and the coach of the Blues um, at the airport. They said, we want you to come play rugby. We think you'd be a fantastic rugby player. And um, there, as I say, John Hart was working at the Warriors at the time, and uh, he sort of said, well, I think rugby union to go. You should, you should take this up. Um, I had a couple of other offers uh, in the NRL, but it was kind of that point in time where no one had any money left in their cap. So I would have been taking a big cut to go to any club. Um, and I just thought, you know, shit, this, this, this could work. Um, so I signed a contract with New Zealand Rugby and I signed with Otago. So I thought I'd just, let's go. And I uh, was excited about the move, to be fair. Um, off we went to Dunedin. So which comp were you playing in there? So I'd played, uh, it's interesting, rugby union in New Zealand. So you go and play local club rugby. You, you go and play back with... Uh, to like the normal local footy team. And I thought, this is crazy. What have I gone and done? But I was playing local rugby and I was playing against All Blacks um, just in the in-between period. Uh, and then I played in the uh, – I played for the Otago in the uh, national competition. And once once that sort of finishes, then you go into the the Super super 15, I think it was at the time. Um, so then you go into Super Rugby. But um, by the time the Otago season had finished, I got an offer to, to move to England. Um, so, yeah, so I sort of changed pack and, and off I went. I imagine there must have been some pretty tough hombres running around in the uh, New Zealand park comp. <laughs> yeah, because, mate, I got, I got lit up a couple of times. I, I turned up and obviously um, playing rugby league in the in New Zealand, you're the only, you're the only team, so you get heaps of media and um, there's plenty of media about me leaving and plenty of media about taking on rugby union. And, mate, I caught me... Early on, I was at the bottom of a couple of rucks and just got towed up by, I think they come running from the back fence to come in and, and uh, rip me up with their boots. So I took a bit of heat. I took a bit of eye gouge and it was <laughs> it was rough and ready. Yeah, it was a baptism of fire. Did, um, did you feel like you were welcomed into rugby union or was it, was it a bit of like like this bloke from league coming over? Like what, what, what was the feel around your move? Yeah, it was it was that with certain people, most definitely. Um, they were like, Lee, you think he can come here and play this? And there was a couple of the guys that were players in the in the team that were, were mad league fans, so it was okay. They they welcomed me, um, but certainly there was a point there where it was yeah, it was a bit foreign. Uh, the coach, the coach of the team that time, he was one that just did everything because I was going to sign at North Harbour in in, uh, in uh, Auckland and he did everything he could to get me to go there and then I signed there and mate he was yeah, he was one of the worst <laughs> worst coaches I'd ever been coached by and, um, so I played I played sparingly I played a couple of games off the bench and started a few games but um, it's only a really short season um, but it was uh, it's a bit of that some loved you and some were like no we're rugby boys and and you're an imposter. So, mate, after your time um, over the other side of the fence in Union, you make a return to league over in yep. England. Who'd you sign with? I signed with uh, Celtic Crusaders. They're based in North Wales. So a team that been in Super League, I think, one, maybe two years. Um, we're trying to invest a bit of money, get some players over. A good mate of mine, Tony Martin, who I played with at the Warriors, he'd signed there. Uh, and basically, that's why I went there. He, he uh, He's the godfather to my eldest daughter um, and he said mate I'm going there let's do it so I went well that sounds good to me let's go and um, so I went back into rugby league and we uh, <laughs> that was a very very interesting uh, uh, set up there at the club which uh, after being there for two years 
I uh, quite successful, went okay um, in terms of my my personal performance, and um, got offered a really good contract, probably the best of my career actually. So I signed for another three day, uh, years, and um, about a week after that, the club folded. So all blokes were out in their ear, and and uh, that was it. Yeah, it was pretty scary. And then I believe you moved over to the London Broncos for a year or two, yeah? Yeah, so I went to London for two years. Actually, I signed again, again. Signed for three years. Um, towards the end of that second year, we had a couple of players. That the club basically said all the higher-earning players need to go or no one's getting paid. So, so we get the difference between the, uh, the uh, Super League competition. They... they um, Run a bit differently, and uh, a couple of Cubs got into financial trouble, and and um, yeah, we just sort of had to wear the brunt of it. Honest, what was the difference between Super League and the NRL for you? The Super League's a lot more open. You shift the ball around a lot more. It's a lot more. I'd say it's faster. There's not as much. Well, certainly in my period over there wasn't as much wrestle and defence. It was very attack based. There'd be plenty of games, be 32, 36, um, stuff like that. So it was very open. Um, shifting the ball around, so that would be the biggest, the biggest difference. Um, then the back end of when I was there, Maguire, Madge Maguire went and coached Wigan, had fantastic success, won it, playing that uh, Melbourne style of football, and um, then that sort of started to change the game over there as well. Mate, how did you end up back at the Dragons? But I, I uh, it was a weird one again. Uh, as I say, London said. Player earners, uh, of which I was one, need to either move on or no one's going to get paid. I actually signed for Leeds Carnegie Rugby Union. So they'd sign me to go there. So I said, yep, okay, I'll forgo my last year at London and we'll move to Leeds. So all done, moved to Leeds for three months and then the RFU wouldn't register my contract. So I was there, trained for three months and then they said, "We, we can't give you a contract now. I said, well, I've just walked away from from uh, my contract, a couple hundred thousand pounds to walk away from, and then you turn up here, I've signed, and now you won't register my contract, and I've got nothing. I'm I'm out of my ear. They couldn't they couldn't get me another deal. So the the RF uh, sorry the RFU yeah they had a rule there that you have to be if you're a foreigner you have to have played international football to be allowed to play and sign a RFU contract. Leeds were arguing that because Leeds is such a rugby league-based city, they were thinking that signing a rugby league player to the rugby union team would help. And they were just like, don't worry, yep, it's all signed, we're all sorted, um, your deal's done. So I <laughs> yeah, got rid of my money, signed with them, and then ended up getting nothing. So I was out in my ear, didn't have a contract, um, didn't have anything. So that's how eventually I... I Obviously, my, my agent started chasing around some clubs, and, and we went back to went back to the drags. Mate, I believe when you arrived, did you play in the inaugural nines tournament? I did yeah. How'd you find yeah. that? It was unreal. It was it was such a foreign concept at that point in time. Um, all the boys were pumped about it. We uh, a bit of a novelty. I think half of our half of our half of our uh, week leading into it was uh, we were working on. Uh, um, plays off scrums and how we were going to um, create numbers. By the time we got there, we realised there was no scrums at all, so we sort of <laughs> we messed that one up. But uh, it was good fun. I imagine going on a tournament like that, like it would have been a great way for you to uh, get to know all the boys. 
yeah, it's good, mate. I sort of turned up a little bit late, um, but I, I turned up um, without sort of pissing in my own pocket. I turned up super fit and super strong because I'd I'd finished my year at London, gone straight into a uh, into a preseason for sorry, I did the preseason at London and then I left, and so I went straight into another preseason with the rugby union. And then that fell apart, so I went straight into another preseason. So I'd done three preseasons in a row. So I was super fit. Um, so I turned up in really good shape and um, was sort of out in front of most of the drills there. And um, I think that earned my respect that I wasn't coming back, you know, just for a, um, you know, a swan song or a gravy train to be a backup. And um, I think that earned my respect, and that sort of worked out. Now, mate, the Dragons is a club with such a rich history and just coming off a very successful period where Wayne Bennett was there and they won their comp in 2010. 2014, yep. the landscape of the Dragons wasn't overly pretty, was it? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Steve Price was the coach here at the time. Um, come in and he was under the heat from day one. We actually started really well. I think we won our first three games. I only played the first game. Then I, I dislocated my shoulder, so I missed a couple of weeks. Um, but we were sort of started off really well. Um, things were looking good, and then it then it all went to shit. And um, Pricey got the flick. Um, Mary took over, and um, yeah, there was a big change. That's for sure. I believe that was the season that uh, Benji Marshall arrived too, wasn't it? He did. Yeah, yeah. Benji turned up, and that was probably the icing on on me. I'd just uh, done my shoulder, just come back in, and then they signed Benji. Um, so they said, all right, we want you to play a bit of hooker. So I was like, yep, sweet with that. Um, obviously, coming back from a dodgy shoulder, Mary said to me, I want you to play reserve grade for a week. And just show me that your shoulder's right, and then you'll you'll play off the bench next week. Okay, cool, I can do that. And snapped me ACL in that about two minutes into the game, and that was the last, the last ever play. That was Curtains, was it? Curtains, yeah. That was um, – I mean, I had uh, – I had – other options, but it got to the stage where, for me, I wasn't on that uh, big money anymore. Um, I was going to be signed after that as a backup, and I'd, I'd never signed as a backup player before. Obviously, I'd played reserve grade, and I wasn't in the team, but I was always a chance of being starting halfback or 5'8". Um, to sign that contract, I was basically going to be just a backup to cover for Gareth Widdop and Benji, and I just thought, well... You know, maybe maybe it's time. Um, my eldest daughter was about to start school, and I thought we we're always moving back here to the Gold Coast. So do I put her in school for another year or two here, then mess her around by getting her out? Um, so I think everything just lined up, and it was time for me to yeah to hang him up. Mate, I know you were only with him for a short period of time, but Mary McGregor as a coach, he's one that whenever I watch the Dragons and whenever I see the team list, he names like he just. I'm so fucking confused every week when I watch what they're doing. How did you find him as a coach? See, I loved Mary. I loved him. I thought he was really good, really good coach. Um, I think for a little while he was still finding his feet. When I when I did my knee, um, obviously finished my season, Mary uh, had gone up to coach. And then, so they got Millwood, who was this reserve grade coach, to go and be the assistant coach. So they said to me, like I was laying on the bed, just haven't done my ACL, and they said, will you coach the reserve grade? Will you help coach the reserve grade for the rest of the year? So I was like, yep, love to. So I was assistant coach for the rest of the year. And um, so I sort of did more on that, the coaching side of things and, and was in, in and around that coaching framework. I actually think he's a really, really good coach. 
really good coach. It took a while for him to get a stamp on the team that he wants there. Um, but there's no doubt, no doubt, and he knows, I've spoken to Mary about it, that this is his, well, was without this virus, this was his start the year well, um, get up and running. It's his last chance to, to have some success or he's out in his ass. Yeah, I, I think the writing is definitely on the wall there for him. Unfortunately, I think um, I think yep. they've got um, they've got Shane Flanagan sitting in there now. Yep. Fuck that, that yep. that'll be putting some heat on him. With Mary and the thing with the Dragons, when he's he's had a couple of times where he's been under the heat, and they've started the season unbelievable. I think they started, I can't remember what year it was, but his was off contract, and they extended Mary straight away because the first ten games, I think they were leading the comp, so they extended his deal, and then it all went to. Went um, terribly after that, mate. But, they, um, they they must all love him. Every time he's in Barney Rubble, they fucking play out of their skin. Love him. They love him. He's uh, he's he's not a career coach, Mary. He would never coach another team. Um, he's he coaches the Dragons because he loves the Dragons. He's a very successful businessman, so he's got stuff away from footy. The only reason he does it because he loves it and he loves the club. So he's certainly got the club's best interest at heart. Um, if they said to him, mate, you're not doing your job, get out of here, he'd, he'd bail. He'd, he'd be happy to fall on his sword because I know the kind of man he is. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, how how this, if there is a year, how he goes. And, and as I said, he'll need success and quickly. Otherwise, they'll be uh, searching for a new coach there. This, uh, this big break of footy could be the best thing or the worst thing that's ever happened to him. Could be a bit of both, yeah. Could be a bit of both. I think... Um, I think he would have been preferred to continue on um, and keep going because I think that time sitting away isn't going to help. But, um, look, he's got the exact team there he wants. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think the losing Tyson Frizzell is a huge loss to the Dragons and um, one that I think, you know, if they, it would be another thing where it could be the nail in his coffin where, if they don't have success straight away, they're going to say, well, a player like Frizz, who we want here, is playing for Australia. He wanted to leave because he felt there was no success here. And that'll fall on Mary if they don't have success straight away. If you had to write a list of players that you would least want to leave, it would start and finish with Tyson Frizzell, wouldn't it? He'd be number one there. He, he's another guy that has freakish strength, um, great footwork, great player, um, hard trainer, good bloke. He ticks all those boxes of somebody you want to build a team around. Um, so to be losing a player like that in his prime is, uh, yeah, that's a kick in the teeth for the Dragons. Mate, before I let you go, I'm going to shoot three out of a cannon at you. I want your toughest, your funniest player you played with, and the last bloke you'd want to be stuck in isolation with over the next few weeks. All right. Toughest. Toughest first off. Um, toughest player I played with. Actually, a spinner for you, Darren Tracy. Come out of retirement in my first year at at Parramatta, and he was a tough man, a tough man. On the back of that, I guess Ruben Wiki has to be one of them. I'm just trying to go through. I played at plenty of clubs. I'm trying to go through on that. But I'd say Rubes. Yeah, Rubes. Let's go with Ruben. Funniest bloke you played with? Funniest bloke? Uh, Brett Stewart. Snake. The snake. He's a champion. Champion. He loved a good time. He uh, actually, story on the snake, it was his brother's 21st, Glenn's 21st, and Glenn hates clowns. Like he has um, that's arachnophobia if you're scared of spiders. There's, There's a name called, for it, yeah. I yeah, don't know what it is. Scared. There's a name for it. So we had like a Barefoot Bowls Day at Manly Bowls Club, 
and Snake went missing, and we're out bowling, and next minute there's this clown just pops out out of the bushes. It's just looking at it going, ooh, making all these weird sounds, and Glenn flipped his lid, like chased it, tried to bash him, everything. Like Snake, he couldn't catch Snake because, <laughs> as you know, he's rapid. But, uh, yeah, he was taking the piss out of his brother, but uh, they were – they were two fantastic blokes. <laughs> That's a cracker. Ah, fantastic blokes. Sorry, they're not were. <laughs> Tell me, uh, you, the last bloke that you played with that you'd want to be stuck in isolation with for the next few weeks? Terry Hill, 10 lengths, 10 lengths the second. Tell me about Tezza. Tezza was – Tezza come out of retirement again when uh, I was at Manly. He loves some limelight. Oh, mate, he just – he just talks and talks and talks, um, and he never lets a story get in the way um, with the truth. The truth never gets in the way of a good story with him, um, but he's he's one of a kind, Tessie Hill. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, I congratulate you on your career and everything you've done post-footy. Sounds like you're absolutely flying. All going good here on the coast. You need to sell your house. Give me a buzz. Will do. I'll let you know. Thank you, mate. I'll uh, talk to you soon. Champion, Nathan. Appreciate your time, dude. See you later. See you, brother. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 